the feeling toward life in twilight. The self-denial of enlightenment is a result of the most recent history, which has ground up all nice illusions of a rational other. Enlightenment must inevitably be led astray by the principle of being left, as long as this is represented in reality by despotic systems. Fundamental to enlightenment is that it prefers the principle of freedom to that of equality. It cannot pretend not to see that socialism, to which its sympathies belong, has lost its innocence almost as much as that against which it was originally directed. Real existing socialism, as it exists today, in a way makes the question of left and right superfluous, for it distinguishes itself from capitalism presumably in recognisable forms that may have their pros and cons, but it shares with capitalism, as with any political economic order, the imprint of hard reality, which can never be left or right in and of itself, but is something that is also made by us, is always how it simply is. Only morality can take a stance towards realities that is left or right. Reality, insofar as it concerns us, is for us welcome or hated, bearable or unbearable. In consciousness faced with what is given, has only the choice of recognising it or not. This is what, crudely enough, the critique of cynical reason makes clear. The outlook for understanding the significance of the current demoralisation from this vantage point does not remain primitive. Only morality is prone to demoralisation. Only an awakening waits for illusions. The question is whether we, in this demoralisation, come closer to the truth. We have in fact plunged into a twilight of a peculiar existential disorientation. The feeling toward life in the present day intelligentsia is that of people who cannot grasp the morality of immorality because then everything would be far too simple. For that reason too, deep down no one knows how things should go from here. In the cynical twilight of a disbelieving enlightenment, a peculiar feeling of timelessness arises that is hectic and perplexed, enterprising and discouraged, caught in the middle of everything, alienated from history, unaccustomed to any optimism about the future. Tomorrow assumes the dual character of inconsequence and probable catastrophe. Somewhere in between, a small hope of getting through lingers. The past either becomes an academic spoiled child, or is privatised together with culture and history and shrunk down at the flea market to curious miniatures of those things that once were. The most interesting things are still biographies from the past in lost kings, particularly the pharaohs with whose eternal life as the comfortable dead we can identify. Against the principle of hope, the principle of life in the here and now rises up. On the way to work one hums Don't Wait for Better Times by Wolf Biermann, or there are days when I wish I were my dog. In alternative bars, one sees posters that say, due to lack of interest, the future has been cancelled. 
Next to it, one reads, We are the people whom our parents always warned us about. The late and cynical feeling of the times is that of the trip and of mundane everyday life, stretched between irritable realism and incredulous daydreams, present and absent, cool or meditative, down to earth or far out, depending entirely on the mood. Some are ambitious, and others just hang around. More than ever, we wait for something corresponding to that feeling of better days, that something has to happen. And more than a few want to add, it doesn't matter what. We feel catastrophic and catastrophile, bittersweet and private, if it is at all possible to keep the nearby area free from the worst. Good films are important, yet it is not easy to imitate good examples because every case is different, especially one's own. We buy books for each other and are a little astonished when the Pope comes to Germany that he still exists at all. We do our work and say to ourselves, it would be better if we really never got involved. To live from day to day, from vacation to vacation, from news show to news show, from problem to problem, from orgasm to orgasm, in private turbulences and medium-term affairs, tense, relaxed. With some things we feel dismay, but with most things we can't really give a damn. The newspapers write that we have to get ready to struggle for survival again, to tighten our belts, to lower our sights, and the ecologists say the same thing. Privileged society? To hell with it. In weak moments we donate something for Eritrea or for a ship for Vietnam, but we don't go there. We would still like to see a lot of the world, and in general, to live a whole lot more. We ask ourselves what to do next and what will happen next. In the feuilleton of the Zeit, the culture critics argue about the right way to be pessimistic. One immigrant from the East says to the other, uh, For a long time I've seen things as bleakly as you, but in spite of it all and everything, where would we be if everybody despaired? And the other says, The time for in spite of is over. Some have been trying for a long time to bring their psychoanalysis to a close, and others have been asking themselves for a long time if they can justify not yet having begun analysis. But you also have to think about what it costs, and how much the insurance pays, and whether afterward you can still get on as well as you think in the middle of your misery. You should be able to get on, because you are not sure at the beginning whether you want to go on as you did before. Oh, and another thing, it turns out that good cooking is not a betrayal, and that this stupid stuff about consumption and having a car is not really so. In such a time of open secrets, where a crazy small-scale economy splits thinking, where so-called society dissolves into hundreds of thousands of strands of planning and improvisation that mutually ignore one another, but are related through all kinds of absurdities, in such a time it cannot do enlightenment, or what is left of it. Any harm to reflect critically on its foundations. There have been impressive examples of such critical reflection for a long time. 
For a long time, the public sphere was one of the strongest themes of a renewed enlightenment, especially in connection with the word experience, and even more so with life context, Laban's Zusammenhang, which was so pleasant to write because you got the feeling that somehow or other life forms context, mm -hmm. and context is like a promise of meaning. However, in the meantime, the intellectual hunting fever for the life context has faded because this life context represents a being at least as rare as the Volpertinger, a hare with antlers that lives in Bavaria and that Bavarian practical jokers used to hunt when vacationers from Prussia had become much too cocky and needed to be taught a lesson. Now that the Prussians stay away and build their own life context between self-activating shooting devices, hunting for Volpertinger, the special enlightenment for sly Prussians, has slackened off just as much as enlightenment in general and enlightenment for non-Prussians. What's next? In the fifth preliminary reflection, which introduces the actual investigation of the foundations of cynical reason, I want to try to name a source of enlightenment in which the secret of its vitality is hidden. Cheekiness. Frechheit. A word whose meaning lies somewhere between cheekiness and impudence. <laughs> 